0: Let's finish up. Go ahead and open your Bibles if you've got it, and we'll have it on the screen as well. So if you don't, that's okay. But if you've got it, open up. And, and we are in 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to finish uh, the letter. We're going to break it apart a little bit as we go, uh, because Paul's got three things for us as we wrap up. One, Paul's going to talk to us about his plans right? We're going to read it and we're going to think that Paul's just giving us his travel itinerary. But there's something more to it than that. Paul's really telling us something about um, how he is committed to doing God's work and he's committed to doing it in God's way because that is what it takes That is what it takes to be effective in the ministry of the church. It's what it takes to be effective in living the Christian life and and loving people the way that God calls you to love them is to do God's work, but to make sure that you're doing it his way. There are a lot of churches and a lot of Christians, um, and this is something the elders try hard to guard against. There are a lot of churches that are busy with a lot of things that are in the name of God, but they're actually in vain. Right? Because there are two things that make up the work of God. That is the gospel, evangelism, and edification, the building up of the church. Right? We exist to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus, to share the gospel with people, and then here we gather to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to edify, to build one another up so that we can continually be about the work of the gospel. This is what we're about. It's what Jesus's great ministry was about, Right? seeking to save those that were lost, and then teaching them things about the kingdom of God. It's what he told us to do in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, sharing the gospel with them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then what? Teaching them everything I've commanded, edifying them, building them up. And this is what Paul's about. So he's going to share with us how he's going about God's work in God's way. He's going to give a final admonishment to the church with some imperatives that he wants from them. And then he's going to share greetings um, from the folks that are with him. So let's dig right in. Here's what he says in the first three verses here. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia for I intend uh, to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. And so we're like, great, now we know what Paul's travel plans are. But there's something really that Paul's sharing there, is that, that he is going to be about, because he does not want his work to be in vain, right? He does not want his work to be in vain, so he's going to make sure that what he's doing is doing whatever God puts in front of him to do. But there's something that he has here, and it's something that every Christian ought to have. It's something that every church leader needs in spades, right? And it's vision. You cannot lead in your own life, you can't lead your family, and we certainly can't lead a church without vision. And Paul has vision. Paul very clearly knows what he wants to accomplish. He wants to go to Macedonia and he wants to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Macedonia. He wants to seek and save those who are lost because there's an entire city that needs the gospel. And he wants to get to Corinth. Not quick passing through, hey, how's it going? I'm on my way. But he wants to spend significant time in Corinth. Why? Because he wants to help them and edify them and build them up. He wants to help correct whatever dysfunction might remain after this letter. Right? He wants to spend the time building them in the faith. He is very clearly in his vision about these two things. About the gospel And about the building up of the church. This is, listen, this is the main job, one of the main jobs of the elders here at Blessed Hope Community Church. The pastor and elders here at the church um, have the role, the, the responsibility, and the privilege of leading with vision. Right? Because... We all know this, a principle that is true, that, that nobody would discount or deny. Stagnant things die. Things that don't move atrophy. And they die. And and, and and that's not up for debate. We all understand that to be true. And so there needs to be movement in the church. But where are we moving to? How are we moving there? Why? What purpose is the movement? These are things that God supplies. This is vision. Right? This is God's work in God's way. It's what the, the elders do is they pray and they seek the Lord. It's one of the reasons we ask you always to be praying for us as pastors and elders and leaders in the church. It's one of the reasons Pastor David just led you in prayer for the children's discipleship team as they seek God's vision for that ministry. And and, and Paul says, I, Paul has vision, vision to preach the gospel in Macedonia and visit to uh, a vision to come and strengthen the church in Corinth. And it might sound wishy-washy, but, but here's what he's saying. He's like, I have this vision, but I'm going to do it God's way. Right? So after I pass through Macedonia, Macedonia, that is a place nobody wants to visit (laughs) unless you're an accountant. But after I pass through Macedonia, right, perhaps I'll come to you. Maybe I'll even spend the winter, if God permits. He's not being wishy-washy. He's saying, this is my heart, right? And when God allows me, I'm going to be ready. And that's how vision works in your own life, right? You you, you can't say to yourself, someday God is going to tell me to do something, then I'm going to get ready for it. That's not how it works. Right? But, but you have vision for what it is you want to accomplish for the Lord in your life. What do you want to accomplish for the Lord in your family? What is that going to look like? And then you prepare for it. I would venture to guess that God has great works for us as believers to do. And all too often, we are not ready to do them when the time comes because we just haven't prepared. William Carey, the great missionary, um, uh, if you don't know him, you can read about his life, but when he was a shoe cobbler in England, God gave him a vision for his life, right? God gave him a passion for the lost, the spiritually lost and hurting, not there where he was only, but around the world. But he wasn't ready to go. So here's what he did. He kept... Cobbling shoes. But he put a map of the world. And every day as he worked and cobbled, he prayed, he agonized, and he wept over the spiritual lostness of the people that God put on his heart to reach. Every day until God was finally ready for him and let him go. And he went and he preached the gospel and he paved the way for missionaries for centuries. Like this is, this is the reality. Leaders must have vision. Paul leads with vision. He says, like, look, look. I'm going to Macedonia because God has put it in my heart to be there and I will get there and I will preach the gospel there and I'm coming to you and I'm not just going to skirt through town. I'm going to come and I'm going to stop and I'm going to spend time with you as the Lord permits and I'm going to build you up because that's what we're about. We're about sharing the gospel and we're about building people up and that's what God wants for your life too. He wants you to share the gospel and he wants you to work to help build up the church. He keeps going. He says, but right now, but right now I got to stay in Ephesus, at least until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective work is open to me. And there are many adversaries. Here's what Paul's saying. He's like, I want to get to Macedonia. That's on my heart to do. That's a vision I have. I want to come and see you and I want to build you up. That's a vision that I have and it will happen. But right now, right? God is doing something here and this is where I need to be, right? I, I got a vision for my life, but I'm, I'm going to hold it loosely and I'm going to follow where God leads. This is core value number one for the church, by the way. Talked about core value number four last week. We aren't containers of the gospel uh, of God's grace, but we're conduits of it. It flows through us. Core value number one just says, man, we are running to keep up with Jesus, we're following Jesus no matter what. Core value 5 says we will not get in Jesus' way. Paul says, man, I want to go to Macedonia. I want to come see you in Corinth. But right now, God is doing a thing here in Ephesus. And this is where I need to be because I have got to keep up with him. Right? And, and I've got to not be in his way. Right? Henry Blackaby says it this way in his, in his book, Experiencing God. He says, if you want to know, right, what it is that God's calling you to do and, and you don't have an idea. Right? You're like, what is it that God wants me to do? What's his will for my life? Start here. Figure out where God is working and then go join him there. That's a good place to start. Figure out what God's doing and jump in. And Paul says right now, God has opened doors for the gospel to be preached and lives to be saved right here in Ephesus. And so I've got to stay. I've got to stay to preach the gospel. I've got to stay to build up the church. Because there are many adversaries. Listen, many adversaries here is an indicator that Paul is right where he needs to be. Don't ever assume that pressure and tension and hardship are signs that you're in the wrong place. Pressure and tension And hardship and difficulty can oftentimes be indicators that you are exactly where you need to be and that Satan really doesn't want you to be there. Paul says, man, it's hard right now here in Ephesus, right? But God is working here. And so in spite of these adversaries, right, because I can see that God is doing a thing and the enemy is coming hard against it, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to work. I'm going to join God in what he's doing. So instead, he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Verses 10 and 11, he says, So when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he's doing the work of the Lord, just like I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me. For I'm expecting him with the brothers. And so Paul says, instead of me coming to see you, right? Like my heart's desire is to come and see you. But first and foremost, I got to do this God thing. He's doing a thing in Ephesus and I got to be here, right? And I'll get to you eventually, but because I can't come right now, here's the deal. I'm sending Timothy to you. Timothy is, is is Paul's protege, his mentor, his son in the faith. He has taught Timothy. He shared the gospel with Timothy. He, Timothy, man, I'm struggling today. I appreciate that some of you are like, "Oh, Matt, we didn't notice." Yes, you did. It's fine. Um, he's like he's like we're we're we're. I've helped raise him up in the faith. I've edified him. I've built him up. I've equipped him for the work of the saints right here, right now. And, and very likely, Timothy is the one carrying the letter to the church in Corinth. Very likely, it was Timothy with a group of other men that, that took the letter under Paul's authority, Paul's um, protege, Paul's mentor. Paul said, here, take this letter and you, you be my vassal. So he took the letter and he gave it to the leadership in Corinth right? And as they're reading the letter, Paul says, I wanted to come to you. I couldn't come to you. I sent Timothy. Treat him well. Put him at ease. Be Christian and kind to him, right? Let no one despise him. Well, of course people are going to despise him. People despise Paul. So of course they're going to despise Timothy. And Paul says, don't let them treat him poorly, right? but receive him well because he does the work of the ministry and let him, let him, let him do his job and let him get back with joy. And Paul says, I I didn't really want to send Timothy. I wanted to send Apollos. He says, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He'll come later when he has the opportunity. Remember, Apollos was the second pastor of the church in Corinth. Paul came uh, and there was no church. And Paul came and he preached the good news. And he stayed there for several years preaching the good news, building the church. And when Paul left to continue his missionary journey, Apollos came under the tutelage of Priscilla and Achille. He came and, and, and he pastored the church in Paul's absence. And he's since moved on. Right? And so Paul says, you need help. I can't come to you because I'm in Ephesus where God is working, right? And so I told Apollos, Apollos, you should go to Corinth. But Apollos said, no, bro, I can't. I don't know if he said it that way, but he was like, he's like, I'm not about that right now. I got other work to do and I'll go to them when I can. So Paul sends Timothy instead. Now, now here, here's the thing about it, right? You're like, man, why is Apollos not doing what Paul told him to do? Well, listen, just because Paul has a vision for something doesn't mean that Apollos has to share it. It's not how it works. Just because I think Pastor David ought to do something doesn't mean Pastor David will also agree that he needs to do that. God might be giving him something different. This is why we don't let one person lead the church. I mean, quite frankly, this is why we don't have... A pastor-led church. Because listen, I got crazy visions. I mean, you don't even want to know. I mean, God bless the staff of the church because they have to hear all about them sometimes. And they're very gracious and kind. Right? But just because I have a vision for the church does not mean that it's something that Blessed Hope Community Church needs to be about right now. Right? This is why we lead as a plurality of elders. Right? Because as God moves in us and we come together with a unified vision for the church, that's the direction we go. That's what we do. That's where we walk. Right? Apollos isn't being disobedient to Paul. Right? Just like God has shown Paul he needs to stay in Ephesus, he very clearly was showing Apollos something else that he needed to do. Paul's not correcting him. He's just saying, look, my first choice was to come see you. I couldn't. I had to stay in Ephesus. My second choice was to send Apollos. God has him doing something else. He'll come to you when he can. So I'm sending Timothy. Treat him well. He says, I'm doing God's work and we're going to do it God's way. He keeps going that with some final admonishment in these next two verses. Uh, And we see five imperatives here. This is his final commands, imperatives for the church in Corinth. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Women, don't stop listening. When he says act like men, it has less to do with gender and more to do with childishness. Here's what he's really saying. Grow up. Be an adult. Right? He's not saying be man. He's saying don't be a boy. Don't be a girl. Be a woman. Right? Be a man. Be a grown up. So he starts with this. Be watchful. Watchful has to do with with this um, standing a post. Being on guard. Being Actively, not, not, not passively, actively looking for danger, right? These are the people that would, that would stand century at the city gates, that would raise the alarm if there was a problem, that would save the city when raiders came. Be watchful. In the New Testament, this word is used 21 times. And here are the things we're told to be watchful for. Be watchful for the enemy, for Satan. Why? Because he is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be watchful. Do not let Satan get you. He wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. Do not let him in. Be watchful for temptation. Jesus says this in Mark. He says, watch and pray so that you won't be tempted you got to stand guard against temptation. Man, we live in a world, they did too, but man, we live in a world where if you are not careful, temptation will grab hold of your ankle while you're walking by. It'll just grab hold of you. Come out of nowhere. You ever have that cat, right, where you're just walking by and all of a sudden the cat jumps out at you? Does that thing where it tries to get you? We had that cat growing up, Mandy. Mandy was a black cat. We decided she was a panther. And so we used to hunt her. My brother and my cousin and I. She didn't like it. I'm told she was a nice cat to everybody else. But she was mean. And it was a small narrow door from the kitchen into the living room at Grandma Buchanan's house. And when you walked through that small narrow door, you had to be careful. Because that cat... She was going to jump out and get you. Now, she had no claws. I don't know what we were afraid of, but we were afraid. Jesus says, you got to watch out, man. Be prayerful and watch out because temptation is like that. It will get you when you least expect it. This is a big one. This is the one that gets most of us. You got to watch out for apathy and indifference. like the church in in Revelation 3 that thought they were alive but they were really dead right? because they, they talked about the Lord they went through the motions for the Lord they even did some things in the Lord's name but their hearts were far from him they were apathetic, they were indifferent people were going to hell and they didn't care people were blaspheming God and they didn't think anything of it Right? People were teaching false doctrine. They were like, yeah, whatever. Just let them do them. They were apathetic and indifferent. They needed to watch. And we need to watch out for false teachers. Right? People that that pass the test, but they come in secretly with destructive heresies. On the surface, they look like they're going to teach truth. But when they start talking, you can hear there's something just a little bit off. There's something that doesn't quite jive right? They, they say a lot of words that we should recognize and a lot of words that we like to respond to. And they say a lot of Christian things, but the message, the context, the heart of the message just doesn't line up. Pick a podcast, pick a book, man, throw a rock and you can find many of these things. Paul says, be watchful of that. Anything that compromises the gospel, compromises the call of God in your life, be careful, be watchful, stand guard. Then he says this, be watchful and stand firm in the faith. The faith isn't, he's talking about here isn't trust. He's not saying stand firm, trusting God. It's not the faith he's referring to. He's saying be watchful and stand firm in the truth that you know. Don't allow yourself to be swayed from the truth that you know. Don't be swayed from truth. Listen, I'm convinced that Satan cannot take your salvation from you. I'm convinced of it, but I am also convinced that Satan wants to move you off of true center. He wants to move you away from sound truth. He wants to get you to think differently. He wants to get you to act differently. He wants to get you to believe just a little bit differently. Paul says, no, 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 and that's a bad place to be. It ruins the effectiveness of your ministry. It cripples the church. Be watchful and stand firm in what you know. Matt, I don't know everything. Neither do I. But we know core. We know core truth. Paul says, stand firm in the core truth. But there's a wisdom of the world that wants to teach some other stuff. Paul says, yeah, I know. But you stand firm, you stand firm in core. But Matt, it it makes me unpopular if I say this is true and people don't like it and they don't like me. Yeah, I know. But you don't compromise what's core. It sounds arrogant, right? Because I say I know this is true, but then I don't have all the answers for all of this other stuff. Yeah, I know. I know. You be gracious. You be kind. But you stand firm in what you know. You stand firm in what's clear. It says you be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Be a grown up. Act like men. Act like women. Put childish things behind you. Be done with milk and eat meat. If you're a vegetarian, eat eggplant. Something you can chew. I don't know, whatever. I got nothing. Act like men. It's like women. Put childish things behind you. Right? Why? Because this is not a task for children. Be watchful. We don't put kids on the city gates. Right? We don't ask children to fight our theological battles. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Gird yourself. Do your job. be strong because it is not going to be easy. This is how Paul wraps up this letter, right? He is encouraged. He is loved. He is admonished. He is taught. He has been patient. He has been harsh when necessary. He has done everything he needs to do to get them to this point. He says, now, after all of that said and done, here's my last call for you. Be watchful. Stand firm. Your age, and you be strong because this is going to be hard. You know what's easy? Slipping into bad doctrine and bad Christianity is easy. Paul's been gone for five years, and things went so bad that he had to write this letter to say, Whoa, it's easy to slip. You don't got to be strong to slip. Everybody that's not intentional slips. He says, you know, what's hard standing firm. You gotta, you gotta dig in. You gotta be strong. And finally he says this a throw to chapter 13, whatever you do, do it in love. Because if you can't be a loving person, then this is worthless. Whatever you do, do it with love if you can't, then nobody's going to listen to you anyway. Be strong, but do it with love. Basically what Paul would say is here, mimic me. Like, not me, mimic him. Paul would say, mimic Paul, right? Think about this letter. Think about this letter that he's written to them as their spiritual father, as someone who loves them deeply and desires to present them to God as a pure, spotless bride on that day. He wants to present the church in Corinth as this beautiful, beautiful thing that has honored God and followed God. He loves them with passion. But think about what he's had to tell them. He's had to tell them, man, that guy sleeping with his his stepmother... She has no place in the church. He has no place in the church. Get rid of him. Discipline him. Remove him from among you. You that think you can just get divorced because you're not happy anymore, knock that off. Right? You that have decided that you can just sleep with whoever you want to, stop it. It's not Christian. You, you who, who are lording the spiritual gifts you have over everybody else and who are trying to make them feel bad about who they are, knock it off. You who keep bringing falsity into the church, banking on human wisdom to, to, to be good with God. You quit that. Drive that out. It has no business here. Use your gifts to build one another up, not put one another down. Fix it. Stop acting like the resurrection isn't real because the resurrection is where all of our hope is. Paul has poured all of this out, but he's done it with the heart of a father that loves them like crazy. That's why he's done it. It would have been much simpler for Paul to say, man, I taught you better than that. I'm done with you. But he has such love and passion for them that he's done all of this. And he's just saying, man, act like I did for you. Be watchful. Don't let this stuff in the church. Don't let it go unchecked, unchallenged. Stand firm in the faith that you know and the truth that you know. Act like grownups. Be mature. Be strong because it's hard. And just, just do it with a heart of love. That's his final admonishment for the church in Corinth, and it's his final admonishment for us here at Blessed Oak Community Church. And then he just He wraps up with greetings. I urge you, brothers, you know the household of Stephanus. They were the first converts, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to them and people like them. How many of you are like, how come he skip that word? fine, Achaia, can you pronounce it better? Oh, Paul says, you remember when I came to Corinth? You remember when I came to town? You remember when I came to this province? The first household that believed the gospel that I preached was the household of Stephanus. God moved in their hearts and they surrendered and they have committed themselves to serving the church. Everything they do is about service to the church. And so Paul says this, be subject to them, be subject to them and to people like them who work and labor for the church. So, so Paul's saying, listen, follow your leaders. So with humility, I say the principle there for us is follow your leaders. What does it mean to be subject to leaders? It doesn't mean to blindly follow but it means to trust their leadership. Trust their vision. Pray for them. Support them. When they come with um, gentle, loving confrontation, submit to it. Right? When they challenge thinking, engage. Paul says, submit to them. Right? You, and he's like, you know them. It'd be like me saying here about like, um, you know, some, some of the, some of the uh, um, OGs of Blessed Hope, right? Um, currently, we have one serving on the elder board. I'm like, you guys know Kevin, right? Kevin, Kevin was there at the very beginning, right? He's still serving as an elder. Kevin was there at the very beginning. You know him. You know how he's poured out for the sake of the church. Man, come on, submit to him. Like, don't, really? We're going to be like, oh, man, I don't know what that guy's about. If you can't see me well enough, I'm rolling my eyes at you. <laughs> Carrie felt it. Never mind. But you get the point, right? It says, submit, right? Or like, Lowell Fink, that guy's been a pastor for 87 years. Lowell, you're not even 87 years old. Lol, <laughs> how long have you been a pastor? About 40 years, 87, 40, it's all the same. Once you hit 30, it all just comes together, right? Right? That guy's been a pastor for a really long time. We are blessed to have him serving with us as an elder. Submit to men like that. This is what he's saying, right? Those that labor and work on behalf of the church, submit to those. And he says, man, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus Yeah, that's right. Because they have made up for your absence, right? They came to see me. And they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Hey, you remember those people from the household of Chloe? Remember we read about them way back at the beginning? He's like, I heard from some people from Chloe's household that came with a letter from Chloe to them. Guess who they were? Uh, We're going to bet they were Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaeus. um, And and that they came. and, And he says... You couldn't come to me. The whole church couldn't pack up and come, but they came as representatives of you. And I rejoiced at their coming. A couple of principles from that too, right? One, be somebody like that, that when they see you coming, they rejoice, right? there's, There's two ways that can go. When they see you coming, they can rejoice. Or when they see you coming, they can be like, all right, let me get ready. Right? Because one is going to be a refreshment to my soul and my spirit, and another is going to be a battle. He says, be somebody like that. Be somebody that, that's refreshing. He says, I rejoiced at their coming, and they refreshed my spirit. And then he says this, give recognition to such people. Honor. Honor people that work hard for the Lord. Respect them right? Because what they do is valuable. And if it's in the name of the Lord and in the will of the Lord, it is not in vain. It says, the churches of Asia send you greetings. That's where he is now, right? Remember, he's writing the letter to Corinth from Ephesus. That's where he's staying and working, right? Because God has opened a great door for him and the adversaries are many. That's where he is. He's going to stay till at least Pentecost, right? He says, but, but as I write you these letters, I'm not in isolation, right? As I write you this letter, it's not just me, but all of the churches that are here with me, all of the believers, all of the brothers and sisters that are here with me, they send you their greetings as well. Akilah and Priscilla, especially together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All of the brothers send you greetings. You're not alone. Paul says, it's not just me praying for you, loving you, desiring that you walk strongly in the faith. It's all of us. We're all together in this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Can I tell you that when worship was over and Pastor David was up here praying and it was, it was my turn to come up, that I thought to myself, just for kicks, I was going to greet him with a holy kiss. And then I thought, how quickly could I get fired? So instead, I thought I would just tell you about my thought. Here's the deal. This is just a fancy way, right? That they did that—kisses on the cheek, right? We don't do that, right? What we do? Um, we we maybe give hugs, like we give handshakes, um, fist bumps, and I don't know, do we wave at each other from six feet apart in today's culture, like whatever it might be. But basically, this is just his way of saying, "Look, man, they care about you. They love you. They send you their greetings. They're they're." behind me as I tell you these things. there this whole cloud of witnesses that is with me, right? Hey, they said um, to say hi to you. Give each other a hug from them, right? You ever tell, you ever tell somebody that like they're going to visit somebody? You're like, oh, give them a hug for me. That's what this means. Just give them a hug for me. Give them a holy kiss on the cheek, not the lips. If you ever listen to our podcast, you'll know that Troy Fincher was a guy that, that man, he was, he was one of my first mentors as an adult in the faith. And, and, and he, you know, he was a kisser. Uh, Troy's 70 years old. I'm 30, right? I'm trying to figure all of this out. And, and, and he's like, man, I'll take you under my wing. I'll teach you some things. He taught me what accountability looked like, what commitment looked like, and, and what kissing a 70-year-old was like except he didn't understand Greek. So he didn't know holy kiss should be on the cheek. That guy was a lip kisser. But I love that dude. I wouldn't, I didn't shy away from a kiss from Troy Fincher. We talked about that at podcast once and those guys thought it was weird. Paul finishes with these last verses. He says, "Look, this time it's me. I'm writing this in my own hand. What's happened for most of this letter is Paul has dictated it to somebody, probably Timothy, but it could have been anybody. So he's been dictating it, somebody else has been writing it. But when he gets to the very end, he takes over the pen and the quill and the ink and he and he writes it in his own hand. He says, "Look, this is Paul. Maybe it's verification, maybe it's seriousness, I don't know. He says, "This is Paul. I'm writing this greeting to you in my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed." Basically, Paul's saying here, uh, this last final thing, he's like, look, nobody, if people in the church aren't about God, then they don't really need to be in the church. They can go, right? Because he's like, as you gather as the church, you're gathering about one thing, the worship of God, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the building up of the church. And if they don't want part of that, don't placate them, let them go. Right? If somebody comes and says, man, it's too hard, make it softer. No, don't make it softer on their account. Let them go. Somebody comes to you and says, you can't say this, say this instead. No, 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 I'm standing firm in the faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what's true. Just let them go. It's another thing. You know, as leaders in the church, listen, people are going to go. We hate it when people go. But when it happens because we won't compromise, so be it. Right? Sometimes it happens for other reasons and it's heartbreaking. But when it happens because we won't compromise, we just chalk that up to, let's act like men. Let's be strong and stand firm. Right? And let's do it in love and then let the chips fall where they will. He says, um, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Here's how he wraps it up. Paul says, I love you. I've corrected you, I've encouraged you, I've taught you true things, I've reminded you true things, and here is my final prayer for you. The grace of God be with you. Paul says, I wish that you would understand the grace of God and that you would experience it every day. Because here's the grace of God. The grace of God causes the creator and sustainer of the entire universe to care enough about you that he sent his one and only son so that when you believe in him and submit to him, you will not die in your sin. You will not go to hell, but instead you will be resurrected and you will have eternal life. Paul's final prayer for them is I want you to know that grace. I want you to experience that grace in the depths of your heart. Church, have you screwed up? Yes, you've screwed up. Paul has told them all about how they've screwed up. But the grace of God is bigger than that. I want you to experience the grace of God. Right? I was, I was, I, do you know that um, I usually agree with Pastor David wholeheartedly? And when he's like, I'm the worst, I say, no. But then he said, we're all the worst, so it was okay. There are too many times in my life when I major in sin. Like, can I be honest with you? I'm pretty good at it. But the grace of God is bigger than that. Jesus is better at saving. I saw this on Facebook earlier this week, right? Jesus is better at saving me than I am at out sinning him. It just is what it is. And Paul says, I want you to know the grace of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And my love be with you in Christ. And then he's done. And 26 weeks later, we have worked ourselves through uh, the letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And I want to just end as simply as he does. Be strong. Stand firm. Watch. Be mature. Do it out of love. Because it matters. And it's worth it. And yes, you've screwed up. And yes, you've made mistakes. And yes, there has been difficulty. And yes, you may have walked away from the Lord. And yes, you may have rebelled in a a million little ways and a few big ones. But the grace of God be with you. Because the grace of God is bigger than your mistakes. So let's confess our sins. Let's ask God for cleansing. And let's move forward as the church of God that has a mission to do. They had it in Corinth. We have it here in Vin. I'm just going to lead you in prayer. Here's my encouragement to you. Right? Do it with me. You could sit and think about something else. Or, as I pray, you could pray with me. We've spent six months digging into this letter, and it is so relevant for us. And so what Paul encourages them to do, he encourages us to do. Let's just do it together. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you, and we thank you for your infinite mercy and grace. You are the one, God, that we praise. You are the one we adore. You are the one that our hearts always hunger for. Almighty, wonderful Father, blessed Redeemer and friend, You give us grace and hope when we deserve none. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for for Paul. We thank you for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that empowers him to communicate your will to us. And God, we confess to you that just like the church in Corinth, there are many of these things that hit home. Many areas where we've fallen flat or we've fallen short. Many areas where we've been apathetic or we've been swayed by a culture and a wisdom that's not from you. Many places where we've allowed the enemy and the adversary to come and shift us from the core truth that we know. God, we confess it to you. We confess even now as we learn these things that it's still not easy to hold fast. And God, in the midst of that, we thank you and revel in the fact that you will hold us. God, like the old hymn sends, prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Take our hearts, Lord, and seal them. We thank you that your grace outpaces our sin. And God, we ask you to renew our hearts and refresh our spirits. We ask you to gird us for this battle ahead. We ask you to help us be watchful, to stand firm in the faith to act like adults, to be strong, and to do it in love, because the mission matters. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the grace that you give, and we ask you to help keep us focused and pointed and effective. We love you and praise you. Amen.